0: Hey, my name is Phil and this is my wife Meredith and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. I just love being with you guys today and I'm really excited because today we have our final installment of our series we've been in, Build Again been looking at the life of nehemiah and talking about what it means to build again and i hope like me god's been speaking to you through it last week i left away left with this this thought when phil was sharing about the difference between experimenting and committing to something I tell you what, if you didn't get anything else this series, that thought of knowing the difference between am I just trying something out for a season or am I making a commitment to it? Because so often we step in and we say, I'm committing to this thing when really we're just trying it. Really, we're just, and then what happens is it falls off and it breaks our confidence and our ability to be finishers because we committed to the wrong thing. We committed to a lifetime of something that we should have just been committing to a trial on. Man, it was... It was so good, if you weren't here for it, I hope that you'll go back and listen to it because last week's message on finishing well, finishing strong, that we are people who finish the work that God gives us and we serve a God who sees a thing all the way to the end, it was such a good message. Which probably leaves you going like, so what are we here to talk about today? I mean, we talked about finishing. We done, right? But I wanted to take you, I'm gonna take you all the way to the end of the book of Nehemiah. And before we leave, we're gonna learn from Nehemiah something that I'm calling how not to build. Before we go on, we're gonna learn how not to build. So let's look at what's been our core text, Nehemiah 2 and 18. This is the thing that I want to reside in your spirit. Nehemiah 2 and 18 says And I told them of the hand of my God that was upon me for good. I've said it every week that I've been up here and I'm gonna say it again. What are you telling people of? Are you telling them of the hand of your God or are you telling them of your own insecurities, of your own shortcomings? What are you telling yourself when you begin to think about this? Tell yourself about the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me, and they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work, for the good work work. Strengthen your hands for good work. Don't strengthen your hands for just anything. Don't waste your energy on everything that comes at you. Some of you spent some time wasting some energy this last week as you sat around family tables and got into arguments that you had no business being in the midst of. Don't waste your strength on things that are not what God called you to, but strengthen your hand for the good work that he has called you to, to build, Build Again, the broken places to build again, the left out places to build again, the decaying places to build again, the places that have been abandoned and forgotten. Strengthen your hand for good work. All right, Father God, we thank you that you're here. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that you are with me and you are speaking to us, God, that you are refining us and making us more like you, Jesus. I ask you to speak through me today and I ask you to give us ears to hear and lives, God, that that take your word and bury it deep in our hearts so that we can be more like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't really like um, like gardening, landscaping, indoor plants, any. Anything, laundry, we're just listing things I don't like now. Tomatoes, no. Specifically, actually the reason, actually it's a good point. The reason I don't like laundry is the same reason that I don't really like gardening and landscaping and things like that. Every year we have to do it. And let me explain to you what my ideal setup would be. My ideal setup for landscaping, gardening, all of that, would be that I get to go out once in the spring Probably Mother's Day weekend, that's a nice time to go out and do your landscaping. I'd get all the weeds out of there, I'd get everything planted just like I wanted, I'd get a fresh layer of mulch, it would look awesome, and I would leave it, and it would be done, and it would be set, and it would be ready. My ideal setup for laundry would be that like once a week I went through and did all of the laundry and then we'd be set, at least for a week. But that's not how this works. That's why I'm so grateful for people like the Knifers who are consistently, faithfully leading our mosaic gardening team that has built and grown so many fantastic fresh produce across the way and then given it into our community all throughout the spring and summer and early fall. They do a fantastic job because they know something that I don't really embody when it comes to the whole gardening thing, that it requires maintenance. You have to keep going back to it. You have to keep tending to it you have to keep giving it attention you have to keep walking th- with it you have to keep coming back and pulling up the weeds and resituating and trimming back different plants and pruning it at the right time and leaving it at the you have to get close to it you have to know the garden that you're working with you have to know how it's growing how the each individual plant needs different things it requires a great deal of maintenance to garden well and i would really rather just leave it i would rather just do it and walk away from it but here's the thing anything that god gives you to grow in your life anything that god gives you to lead in your life is going to require your constant and regular attention Anything that we value requires us getting down in the dirt with it and learning it and knowing it and understanding it so that we can form it and lead it and direct it in the way that God has for us. This is the thing when we talk about Not leading the way that Nehemiah. Nehemiah got his eye a little bit off the ball at the end. We're going to keep walking into it because like all of us, Nehemiah had a, a tendency to be project focused. And when we're more project focused rather than committing ourselves to the process of understanding the mundane part of maintenance that we need to walk through. Come on, there is something powerful in the mundane rhythm, the mundane habit of the maintenance. Maintenance of your life of the everyday attention that needs to go to it, of the everyday thing that you need to walk to, of everyday going and checking on that wall and saying, yeah, this one's still good. Yeah, that one's still in place where I told them to be. Yeah, the foundation is still steady here, that there is a regular maintenance that needs to happen. And like all of us, because everything in our life is not moving towards being orderly and being directed and being tidy. Come on, if you've been around here for a long time, you're probably already saying, it in your mind because you know our founding pastor, Bishop Pitts, has taught us that everything around us is bending and leaning towards chaos if we don't bring order and direction to that thing. You are the leader of this space and God called you to lead something, to build something, to direct something, and to bring order, direction, structure to that thing. Every space that he has placed you inside is a space that is waiting to find out, are you going to lead me towards order and direction and the things of God? Or are you going to let me keep floating around, wafting and moving towards decay and destruction? There are these photos of these offices, that were um, like abandoned essentially during lockdowns, right? Some of them for, I mean, like a year at a time. And then when they went back into them, look at this. They were just absolutely, there were either plants growing all over everything or there were plants that had completely died left to themselves. Why? Because these plants didn't spontaneously go, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna stay right here in my tidy container and I'm gonna continue to flourish because no one was in the space to direct the plant where it needed to go. No one was in the space to tend to the plant. No one was in the space to continue to water it, to continue to prune it, to continue to shape it in the place and the space that it needed to be. Everywhere that God has put you is a space and is a place that he is putting you inside to shape it, to form it, to direct it, to change it, to make it look more like the kingdom of heaven, to make it look a little bit more like Jesus in that space. He has called you to lead everywhere that he takes you. He has called you to lead in every space that he has placed you in. He has called you to direct that thing, to keep your eye on the ball. To to live your life on mission you are not a victim of that situation you are not a victim of that environment you are a child of the most high God and he has called you there to lead it he has called you there to direct it he has called you there to shape it and to form it and to make it look a little bit more like he has called it and desi- if you can keep your attention on the thing that he has called you to if you can keep your focus on the space that he has called you to, because anything that you have been given to lead will require your regular and constant attention. Things will grow in the direction that they are led. Your business will grow in the direction that you lead it. Your friendship will grow in the direction that you lead it yourself will grow in the direction that you lead it you cannot leave your mind your body your soul untended to uncared for without attention and expect that your thoughts are just going to grow in the direction of vitality and health you need to lead those thoughts direct them towards the things up above direct them towards the things of God focus your life on the higher things of heaven whatever is good whatever is true whatever is pure whatever is perfect whatever is holy whatever is of God focus yourself on these things and so today Nehemiah our leader who didn't know that he was gonna be a leader but knew how to say yes and answer a call when he saw a need whose heart broke for something that God's heart was breaking for and so he showed up to build again today he's going to teach us as well what not to do when we build again that space do you want to turn to Nehemiah 13 we're gonna walk through some points We're gonna pull out some principles from the chapter of Nehemiah 13. It's the last chapter in the book of Nehemiah. If you don't have something, we'll have it for you here, but I do encourage you to go back and look at it. What has happened here? Where are we in the midst of the story is that the wall has been built. Do you remember, Nehemiah went back to build again the wall And he has built the wall. He has gathered the people. They have built the wall. They have organized everyone around it. They have set people in their places. They have given assignments. They have reorganized and reordered. And Nehemiah and Ezra, because if you remember, again, Nehemiah and Ezra were originally one book, one story, that are telling the same continuous story about this rebuilding of the temple, rebuilding of the wall, rebuilding again the places that God had called them to. And Ezra and Nehemiah they set out everything they get everything together they put everything in its place and even the wall has been dedicated the ribbon has been cut the champagne has been popped the photos have been taken and posted to Instagram so everyone can share and like and celebrate in this fantastic day of the wall being dedicated and Nehemiah rules He's the governor of the area for 12 years and everything is moving along just as it should. And then he goes back to Babylon for a couple years, probably about two or three years. He goes back to Babylon. He goes back to Babylon and then he returns again. And when he returns, he learns a valuable lesson about what happens when you take your eye off of the ball. He learns a valuable lesson about how just important his presence was in that place. He learns that too often when you are sent to lead something, you undervalue the influence that you are having in the space, and so you abdicate and remove yourself from the place, and when you're removed from the place, the order that God had intended gets all flipped around. Nehemiah comes back to an utter mess. And as we walk through this, we're going to pull out some principles about what happens because the biggest thing, the overarching thing that happens is that when Nehemiah is out of his place, the order of everything else gets disrupted. The order of everything else gets shifted. It's why you have to be present in the place that God called you to. It's why you have to be present in the space that God has designed for you to lead. That once you build again, don't take your eye off the ball. Because Nehemiah comes back, and as we pull out these principles, I want you to remember that this is probably around 430 B.C., so the context is not exactly the same, but principles are enduring. Nehemiah 13, 4 and 5, it says this, now before this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah... If you remember, Tobiah was one of Nehemiah's enemies, but that's really a whole nother message. He prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain and wine and oil, which were to be given as a commandment to the Levite singers and gatekeepers and the contributions for the priests. Hold on, What? While Nehemiah was away, Elieashib moved his cousin into the temple. Is that what you just read? That's what I read. So Nehemiah goes away. Elieashib is the, the priest, right? He's the priest in charge. He has been set to be the one running the temple. And when Nehemiah leaves, he moves his relative in to one of the rooms that is supposed to, he sets up a couch for him and a little desk so he doesn't get too bored and a space where he can go in and just make himself comfortable right there in the temple in a room that was intended for the sacrifices. What is the principle here is that when your eye gets off of the ball, the spaces that were intended to be for sacrifice, the spaces that were intended to be for the provision that God has always intended in your life become places of rest and become come places where someone else is occupying instead of the provision that God has always this was a storehouse it was the place where the people brought the offerings their sacrifices from what they have worked for they bring that into the house and then the priest is meant to store that in this room where God then can provide for his people and his community and those who are in need but instead he has allowed someone else to move into that space so there is no longer the provision of God in that space there is someone else just hanging out taking up space in that space and this is my question for you who or what is occupying the space in your life that is meant to be filled with the provision of God but instead you have let someone else move into that space there are needs in your life there are desires in your life there are things in us that need filling that can only be filled by the provision that comes from God, but we seek to fill them and to provide for them out of our own hand and when we seek to fill them and we seek to provide for them out of our own hand, we fill them with insufficient alternatives. And this is what Eliyashab has done. This is a space that's meant to be for provision, but Tobiah somehow is filling some need in his life, a need to feel close to this person, a need to feel like he's matters to him a need to feel like he's important inside the temple and outside the temple so Tobiah go ahead goes ahead and sets up shop right there in the temple what is filling space in your life that should be filled we reach for all kinds of things and we fill our life with all kinds of come on I want to talk about this today what is filling space and we're gonna have some group therapy I'll go first you can go next week okay because this is what so I wish, you you guys remember when we used to have those little things? (laughs) This is better visually, but sometimes I wish I still had them to like sit on. Anyway, okay. Because I want to have some therapy and I need to sit down to have some therapy. Okay, so this is the thing. So for me, for example, I'm not always great at connecting with the emotion that I'm feeling in a moment and allowing myself to process the different emotions that I might be feeling but it is a need that all of us have to connect with our emotions and to feel our emotions and to process our emotions in a healthy space. So sometimes, instead of allowing God to provide a a capacity for that hole that I have in myself, I reach for something else to fill that space. Something, for example, like a show. Let's use an example. This is us. This is why I might reach for a show like This Is Us in my own life. This is my session. You can go next week. I might reach for a show like This Is Us in my life because it is going to take me on an emotional journey. I'm going to go on an emotional journey watching this show, and when I go on an emotional journey watching this show, I have had the experience of having an emotional encounter without actually having to process my own emotions. I have lived through fictitious characters having a very emotional thing, and so I have felt highs, and I have felt lows, and I have cried tears, and so I feel the release of the emotion without ever having dealt with my own emotion, when instead what I need to do is turn off some noise and stop letting spaces in my life being filled by what God is supposed to be providing for me and going and sitting before him and saying, God, you fill me up. God, you walk me through this thing. God, you're the God of my mountaintops and the God of my valleys and the God of my plateaus. God, you are with me in every season. God, fill me, provide for me all that you are. So that is my piece that I am working on. I want to know what are you you filling your life with what are you plugging holes in your soul with that is meant to come from the provision of God because when Nehemiah got out of his space the order of things got out of order and Eliashab moved someone into the temple that was never intended to be there and you are the temple what has moved into your life that was never intended to be there And then it makes me ask the question, what was that room doing empty anyway? That room was supposed to be filled with the offerings that were brought in by the people that were then being distributed to the community and to the Levites that worked in the temple. Let's look at verse 10. Nehemiah 13 and 10 says, and I also found, can you hear? Can you imagine being Nehemiah? He's like, and also what I found was that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did not work, had fled, who did the work, sorry, had fled each to his field. Mm there's a couple things going on here and it somewhat has to do with money but really the principle doesn't totally have to do with money it has to do with the fact that these Levites and these priests and these singers were meant to be living in the temple and they were meant to be leading the people in the worship they were meant to be leading the people in Scripture and God's design that he had set up for them was that the people would bring in their tithes and their offerings from their storehouses and they would store that in the temple and then that would provide for these people so that they didn't have to be out working in the field but they could be working in the temple This is what he has set up for them. But because the attention has got off of it, the order has gotten flipped. And so now those who are meant to be working the temple, leading the people, when the leader gets out of place, every leader gets out of place under them. So the next level of leaders is now disrupted and they are no longer gathered in the temple where they are meant to be leading the people. Instead, they have been scattered in a time when they should have been gathered. If you look throughout scripture, there says a lot in scripture scripture about when we gather and when we scatter we gather to encounter his presence we gather to come and learn at the feet of Jesus we gather to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and then he scatters us so that we can go and find others and bring them back to the gathering and then he scatters us so that we can be the salt of the earth so that we can be the light in the midst of the dark places he gathers us and he scatters us and these people were supposed to to be gathered together. But when you get your eye off of the ball, your gathering and your scattering gets out of place, and they were supposed to be gathered in the temple, but because the offerings were not being distributed to care for them in the way that they should have been distributed to care for them, they are sent, and now instead of working for worship, they are working in fields, and the work that they were supposed to be doing becomes the work that someone else was supposed to be doing when the leader gets their eye off of the ball. When you don't keep your attention, when you don't keep your focus on the thing that God has called for you to do the thing that God has called for you to build we end up scattered in seasons when we should be gathered people of God our focus has gotten off of our mission and it's why we're scattering and it's why we're splintering over things that are lower level things over things that have nothing to do with the thing that God has called us to because there's no provision coming straight from heaven there's no provision coming from the mouth of God there's no food and anointing coming that's the grain and the oil that were stored in the storehouse for each of the people because we have scattered when we should have been gathering and they are scattered in the fields and there is no one to lead the people in their praise and in their worship And then by Nehemiah 13, 17, he says, and then I confronted the nobles of Judah and I said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing? You are profaning the Sabbath day. The Sabbath for them was still under Mosaic law. It was a law that they focused on the Sabbath, that they took one 24-hour period and they ceased from work and they rested in the presence of God. God. And I don't think that we always understand the the power of a Sabbath because we live in a time when we have pretty conceptually like the idea of a five day work week and a weekend. That is not a concept that existed in 430 BC. It was a radical declaration of who they were following, of the trust that they placed in God that the people of Israel one day a week would cease from working would say, I'm not going to go and plow the fields. I'm not going to go and make the trades. I'm not going to go and do all of the work in my house. I'm going to cease from all of that, and I am going to focus my attention and my heart on God. And even though we are not called legally to a Sabbath, Jesus is our Sabbath. He is the one who comes and says, you don't have to work for all of that anymore. You just find it in me. Because what the Sabbath is, it is it is a declaration that I am putting all of of my trust, not in my own hands and not in my own work, but in the God who provides for me. And even still, he calls us to find places of holy rest for him, where we recognize that it's not my hand and it's not my work, but I am trusting, God, I'm trusting that the world will keep spinning if I turn this phone off. God, I'm trusting that my business will be okay if I shut the doors every now and then. God, I am trusting that when I disconnect from that, when I cease, that everything around me is held by you. And then verses 23 and 24 says, and in those days... I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. What is going on here? So let's talk about what this is not before we talk about what it is, because people have used scripture to justify all kinds of of things that scripture is not saying. This is not a universal ban by God on interracial marriages. In fact, God celebrates His people marrying together and on the diversity of all that He has created us to be. What this is, is this is a statement about where our affection goes and what we are allowing to lead and to direct our lives. What would happen is because all of the different people groups had different worship that they practiced and different gods that they practiced before is that they would intermarry and instead of focusing their affection and their attention on God, they would begin to intermingle all of their worship. And in fact, what actually happens here is they don't even teach their children the language because the place where you place your affections is what your children learn to value it's the language that they learn to speak and the language that we speak is what directs our life you should pay attention to the things that your children are talking about to the type of language that they are picking up because it is a reflection of what they understand is valuable inside your home do your children speak a language of the things of God do your children speak a language of the kingdom of God do your Children speak a language of a life lived on mission to be a light shining in the darkness, or do your children speak a language that sports are what's most valuable to you? Do your children speak a language that financial success is what's most important to you? Do your children speak a language that running after drama is what's most important to you and what gets the affection and the attention? in your household and in your family culture. This is a statement about where our affections lie. Are we running after false gods or are we focusing our affection on God? And Nehemiah learned a valuable lesson that the thing that you build is going to require your attention. That the thing that you build is going to require maintenance. That maintenance might be mundane, and maintenance might be boring, but it requires you to continue showing up, to continue checking on it, to continue leading it, to continue giving it direction, to continue giving it purpose. The maintenance of the thing that God has given you is at the directive of the leader he has put on the inside of you to lead and to direct that thing. We give our attention to the things that we value. And leaders understand the value of their presence. Leaders understand that when they show up, it changes the dynamic. That's why in Genesis 28 and 15, God said to his people, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God is the leader who doesn't get his eye off the ball. God is the leader who is walking with you in this moment. God is the leader whose presence makes all of the difference. God is the leader who came to you because he saw you. And when he said, what do I value? He said, I value you. And I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I am not getting my eye off of you. I will not withdraw my presence from you. It's why in John 16, John said, Jesus said as he was getting ready to leave the disciples physically, he said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth that it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, why? The helper will not come to you. But when I go, I will send him to you. What is he saying? He's saying, you are the thing that I am building up. You are the person that I am building again into who you were always intended to be. And when I build you again, I'm not gonna take my eye off of you. I'm not gonna take my attention off of you. My focus is on you. I have a helper that I am sending to you to walk with you, to lead you, to guide you. And woo, here's the thing. So the helper comes the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us Jesus sent the helper to lead us and to guide us and who does the helper lead us and guide us into the helper leads us and guides us to Jesus Because Jesus is the firm foundation that we build on. Jesus is the firm foundation that we stand on. That when we are built again, we plant ourselves on Jesus and Jesus alone. And so that's why by the time we get to Ephesians 3 and 17, when Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he says that the Holy Spirit now has led them into Christ. And he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, that Christ may dwell in you. He is going to build you again. But this is the confidence that we have, that when he builds us again into the people that he always designed and intended us to be, he doesn't build us and leave us because he is more committed to the process of you than he is to the project of you. God is not about to leave you. He is not about to abandon you. He is not about to forsake you. He is calling you unto himself. And it says that he will indwell you. When he indwells you, you can't get any more away from him than you can get away from your own heart. Everywhere you go, he's there with you. Everywhere you walk, he's there with you. Everywhere you wander into, he's there with you. And he's leading you and he's guiding you. And he's directing you and he is walking with you in that space. He is the one who keeps his attention on you. And this is why. Because we give our attention and we give our focus to the thing that we value. To the thing that we care for. And he values you. You are of great worth to him. And he cares for you. He cares for you so much that he came out of heaven and he came all the way to earth. So that he could draw you unto himself and he could dwell on the inside of you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. You cannot wander too far where his presence isn't dwelling on the inside of you. This is the promise of every believer. This is the promise of all who have said yes to Jesus. That he will stay with you. I'd love for you to stand with me if you're in this room. Because it's the promise that so many of us have already said yes to. It's the promise that so many of us already get to stand in and get to celebrate in. But for somebody today, it's the promise that you're getting ready to say yes to. To say yes, Jesus, I acknowledge who you are and I'm asking you to dwell in me, to never leave me, to never forsake me, that I want to walk with you all the days of my life. Because he will not take his eye off of you. He will walk with you in every single season. If you know that's true, church, say amen. So what we're getting ready to do is we're going to pray a prayer all together. The reason I like to pray a prayer all together is if you're praying it for the first time or if you're praying it because you're recommitting that you wanna live a life in connection with Jesus, And I want you to hear the sound of the family of God, of the community of God that he is calling you home into. After we pray that prayer, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand so that we can celebrate and rejoice with you. It goes like this. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I'm coming to you today. I ask you to fill my life. I'm letting go of my own thinking, and I'm taking hold of your way of living. Help me in it. Fill me completely. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus that I am saved, amen, amen, amen.